Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Luke Opliger, the founder and host of the Armed and Generous podcast. You know, anyone can make money, but it takes intention, creativity, and commitment to make an impact. And I believe this is core to the future of doing business. By having a double bottom line of good and growth, it will lead to a more fulfilling, rewarding, and strategic way for individuals and organizations to reach their full potential. I had a chance to chat with a couple of these give back gurus and talk about ways they've leveraged their professional craft to create meaningful change in the world. I'm thrilled to introduce you to not just one, but two guests for this episode, the Wright Brothers. When you hear the name, the Wright Brothers, what comes to mind? Airplanes, bicycles, new kids on the block. We've got the right stuff, baby. And after today, when you hear the name, the Wright Brothers, you might just think about water. More on that later. You know, water is something that these brothers think about often and something millions of people around the world think about every single day as they don't have access to clean water. But the Wright brothers have taken a very unique path, both very different on their armed and generous journeys to their passion and purpose around giving clean water to the world. Abe Wright is an award-winning engineer who walked away from an executive level career at Johnson & Johnson to become the Chief Technology Officer of Design Outreach. Design Outreach is a nonprofit focused on developing humanitarian solutions for the world's most pressing issues, clean water being one of the big ones, and he and his talented team have tackled that with innovations like the Life Pump Plus. No, it's not a new streaming service, although it does stream water. We're gonna hear a lot more about that from Abe. And his brother Luke is an artist and an entrepreneur who took his love for clay making ceramics and turned it into a successful give back business. He's the founder of Mud Love, which is a purpose-driven brand that makes personalized mugs, jewelry, and much more in their ceramic studio. And check this out, every single product that they sell provides one week of clean water to someone in need. It's pretty awesome. So they've actually had over 1 million weeks of clean water donated and they're just getting started. So if you're someone who has a passion for people and planet, and you're looking for ways to use your talent and experience to give back, then this episode is for you. The guys share how they navigated from idea to launching their respective organizations and providing practical ideas and tools for how you can do the same. Introducing the Wright Brothers. So Luke, I kind of wanted to start with you, if you don't mind, you know, I'd love to hear about about mud love and what you guys are about and um, just kind of the story there. Yeah, we're a small company. We handcraft um, things out of clay and in turn provide a week of clean drinking water to someone in need. Uh, we support an organization called Water for Good and they work in the Central African Republic. Um, it's one of the poorest countries, landlocked, a uh, very difficult country to work in. Um, because of their government, uh, roads. I mean, there's just a, mm. a ton of things. So um, early on, I was actually, I graduated from college. I was working construction with my dad and he had some heart issues. And so this was his last job. And I had a ceramics degree, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I, you know, I just worked with my dad. And as he was sort of planning his retirement um, for health reasons, I had to start thinking of plan B. Um, 
and actually I, I started by thinking I would be a bus driver for some reason. I thought oh. I should, uh, I don't know, just drive a bus. And I ended up training and then I ended up failing my test and never looked back. <laughs> so I joke now with my team that the only reason they're here is because I failed a bus driving test. <laughs> um, it sounds like to anyone, who, anyone who would think about bus driving, I think it takes a pretty strong person. Yeah. You know, I, I think about, um, <laughs> some of the torture I put my bus drivers through and I, I was, I was a pretty good kid, um, yeah. but mine was more like pretending to be a velociraptor, you know, and like <laughs> run up and down the, the thing or, you know, I, you know, there's pretending like there was a bee inside or, you know, <laughs> we, we put those people through a lot. So that's, yeah, that, that's not saying something. I don't know if I knew myself very well at that point in my life. Uh, I don't think I would have been that great at it. <laughs> Do you think but you would have been more, more of the, uh, the shut up and sit down type yeah, or more of the wheels yeah. on the bus sing along? Yes. <laughs> I could parallel park that thing though. I was pretty proud of that. That's impressive. That's yeah. impressive. Good life skill uh, to have. That is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Comes in handy, you know? Right. Um, but during this process, after that, I, we were still doing construction and a friend of mine said, Hey, I have a basement. And I heard you studied ceramics. If you ever want to start a studio, you can, you can use that. Mm. And so I was like, you know, maybe this is my opportunity to just start um, and just try to make some things and see if I can sell them on something like Etsy or my own website, maybe. And so I, I would basically do construction during the day with my dad. And then in the evenings I would start building the studio. Um, it sort of came to a screeching halt when one day I went into the basement and it was flooded about six inches. Wow. Um, and then I got a call from my friend that day saying that the house had sold and we had to move out. I didn't even know it was for sale. Mm. Um, so I was, I was pretty down about that for about a, I was about a week. And then I got a call from this artist who worked and painted in this little garage in this artisan village that we live next to. And he said, hey, I'm moving out of my studio, moving to a different town. Do you need a place to work? And I, mm. I said, yes, absolutely. And I remember getting that call. And then I remember getting on my bike and looking for the landlord who often did yard work. And I found him blowing leaves at this hill. And I tracked him down and asked him to turn off his leaf blower and was like, hey, can I move <laughs> into the, uh, the garage there behind uh, or on this little alleyway he was like oh I guess we'll see and so I showed him my work um, showed him what I wanted to do at that point I knew that I was going to be doing something giving back wise and was still sort of processing that sure um, but yeah I gave him a basic pitch and I eventually moved into the garage and mud love was born that's awesome that's awesome no I think it's cool too I mean there's it's exciting to me to hear stories of people who took their, their passion and their craft and not just turned it into a, a business. I mean, there's a lot of great stories like that. And there's a lot of great podcasts and resources for, you know, hustling and getting after it and entrepreneurship. And those are all great resources. I think one of the things that I'm trying to create here with Armed and Generous is it, it's, it's possible, and your story proves it, to be able to use your skills and your talents, your craft, you know, to do something for the greater good. Uh, so that's exciting to hear about. Abe, I'm going to kick it over to you. 
um, give us a sense for, for design outreach um, and what you're doing over there. Yeah, de definitely. Design Outreach is a Christian humanitarian engineering organization. So really we um, want to shine R&D resources on countries, people around the world who uh, those resources typically aren't shown on. So uh, it's been said that 90% of the world's uh, technologies are designed for 10% of its population. And, you know, we all know the statistics about the, the billions of people around the world who, who live in poverty and lack basic resources like water, and, um, education, sanitation, those sorts of things. So mm -hmm. uh, our, our vision with Design Outreach is to transform marginalized and low-income communities around the world physically, economically, and spiritually. And we partner with uh, volunteers. We have a small we have a small team here that, that does a lot of work, um, but we also we just finished counting up our hours, our volunteer hours for this year. We had five thousand uh, pro bono pro bono um, R and D volunteer hours. Wow! Uh, dedicated from about sixty engineers around the country, and it's just amazing. Uh, you know, people who want to get involved in a in a project that's going to impact someone um, or people around the world. Uh, like for example, we've uh, mostly been involved in the water um, area. Mm -hmm. So we got involved kind of, uh, Luke and I both came through with the water for good. So uh, I was on the board for water for good after college and had this awesome opportunity and uh, found out about the, the water crisis you know, mm -hmm. and learned more about it while, while on the board there. And that's how I met my co-founder, Greg Bixler. So being on the board for water for good and being an engineer, I um, I had really felt a calling in my life early on of, I want to use engineering for missions. I just didn't know how that was going to work. I mean, I, I graduated from college in 2000 and, you know, groups like Engineers Without Borders, I think they were founded around that time. So it's kind of a foreign concept at that time. Like sure. if you went to a missions organization and said, I'm an, I'm an engineer, I'm here to help. They kind of look at you sideways. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or they might, they, they, they might hand you like a paintbrush or. Yeah, yeah exactly. Know, sure. You know, engineer, engineer the paint on this wall. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So I had, I just had this idea, like, surely, like, there's something here. And I really felt a call on my life. And through a, a trip I took to Mexico, I'd seen poverty uh, when I was in high school, actually, for the first time in my life, mm. of, you know, spending time in the, the, the barrios of, of Tijuana and seeing how people live and um, the lack of resources. So, um, yeah, I guess to bring all that full circle, um, uh, we, we, um, we work in specific areas like water, um, global health, agriculture. Most of our time has been, uh, mo most of our projects have been in the water sector. So the first project that we got was given to us as an idea through Water for Good. And they were telling us about water pumps that don't go deep enough and that break a lot. <laughs> mm. And so we said, Hey, maybe the world needs a, a deeper uh, reaching hand pump and one that's reliable and so we set out to do that um, and we've been able to and I, I should say studies have shown that like the most common hand pumps that are installed break down every six months and they don't get repaired for 30 days and that wow and our, our philosophy has been and, and, it, and it's showing proven to be true that reliable unreliable technology just cycles the pop um, just um, continues the poverty cycle 
So if you have a piece of reliable technology like a hand pump that can last for five to 10 years, that helps break the poverty cycle. So we've developed a new hand pump called the Life Pump, which is reliable. Our longest running hand pump right now, um, Life Pump is in Malawi going on 2021, well, I think will be eight years now for that pump. That's incredible. Um, Luke and I had a chance to go back to the Central African Republic a couple of years ago and, and install uh, some life pumps there. That was an incredible trip. Um, I it's bet. just a and now we've had the opportunity to go back to these communities and see like what does what does it mean for a community to have water 365 days a year, and that and it's not even the water; it's them knowing that the water is going to be there tomorrow mm. because these other hand pumps will break, and so they'll think, man, I, I could plant crops in the dry season, but this this pump might break and I'll lose all my, my investment. Um, but if they know, Hey, this pump, I can trust this, this technology and I can trust that, um, water is going to be there tomorrow. So I'll plant a garden. I'll buy, buy some animals. I'll, um, invest in the future. And it's just been incredible to go back to these communities and see how they've grown. That's awesome. It, it sounds like, you know, in, in a kind of nutshell that clean water gives confidence you know, it gives them a sense that, okay, I, I can go ahead and move forward with my life, uh, which is incredible. And I know too, the, the little bit you and I have worked together and some other research I've done, you know, on, on the clean water crisis, you know, there's, it's, it, my sense is it, it unlocks unlimited potential, you know, for, for younger people, for, for women, and especially who are being asked to carry out the work of, of finding the water and bringing it back and, education and crops like you said and infrastructure and it just feels like it's it's a solvable uh issue that we can that we can take care of in our lifetime so that that's pretty exciting you guys are both both working towards that yeah it's it's foundational there's so many things that are built upon it that we take for granted because we have water at the turn of a faucet and when you every time i take a trip to to africa to haiti to Guatemala, wherever, and I see, um, I visit these communities, I learn something new. Um, like I went to a, a community in uh, Zambia where there was a school and they had installed a life pump and the teachers were struggling to keep the school running because all of their budget that they got from the government, very small budget was spent to keep the pump running and it would break often. Mm. And since they put the life pump in, um, they've been able to spend the money in other places. Like they, they call it a garden they've been growing, but it's more like a mini farm. Nice. <laughs> they've invested in like a tin roof for their building, build a beautiful new building for, for teachers. Teachers won't even come to a school that doesn't have water, mm. you know? So like think through that for a moment. Like you can't even you build a school, but you can't get teachers to come because there's no water. That's wild. No, I appreciate you sharing that. So Luke, I'm going to hop back to you. Is as you guys think about, um, you know, knowing that both you guys are you know faith-based leaders, and you think about how your faith plays a role. Um, how did that when you thought about Mud Love and kind of starting the company, and even even the name itself, you know, how how did your worldview and and your your faith play into that, and kind of what you built? Yeah. Well, you know, growing up in the church, I think I, I sort of had like a rebellious stage against against that in my life. And I think, you know, I came out sort of 
ditching my old lifestyle and bad habits and coming back to God. And I was trying to just think about who I was and like what was important to me. Mm. And I, I really just like to simplify things down to the, to the basic root of what it is. And it, it basically came down to like, well, if God is love, then I can promote love and God's going to take care of the rest. You know, um, I didn't feel like mud love needed to be a Christian organization. I didn't feel like that. I just felt like I needed to be, I needed mud love to be some sort of inspiration, some sort of positive message and God will do the rest. Um, so when I thought about the name, it was basically just taking the simplest forms that I could mud and love and putting them together. And then the name, I wanted it to really just reflect what we did Mm. in the simplest way possible. Um, and you know what, now it's been about 11 and a half years. And I mean, some of the stories that come out of, of what we're doing are just unbelievable. Um, one of my favorites is this guy that used to mop the floor at the local post office. His name is Maury Hester. And he always called me John. He like didn't know my real name. <laughs> Crosby, um, John, Lee, yeah. whatever. <laughs> he was just kind of a, a weird dude, but he was a really nice guy. Um, but he started coming in to Mud Love and buying two Hope bracelets uh, with a brown mm. elastic. And he kept coming in like, you know, once a week or whatever. And I just said, hey, Maury, you know, like, I'm happy to give you a discount if you want to buy you know, more or whatever. He's like, no, that's not, that's not what I do. He's like, you know, I recently was diagnosed with terminal cancer Mm. and I keep two hope bracelets on my turn signal of my truck. And every time I, I meet someone new that has cancer, I give him one of these bracelets. And then when when he runs out, he comes and gets two more. And it was just a moment, you know, hearing his story is like, wow, like this guy's like, about gone and he's using our our product to try to like just lift someone's spirits that are just going through a really hard time Mm. and that and that's just one story i mean i've i've even heard of like former gang members getting a bracelet and just like breaking down and I, i mean so i think it's just neat to see how that came to be true you know where it's like we're sort of just building these little seeds and people are doing the work of getting them out there for us. Wow. And, and then God's, you know, doing the rest. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, yeah. That's incredible. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy too, because you think about, you know, your story around um, a gang member. You think about someone who's, you know, in a really tough spot, who has made a commitment, you know, to something that's pretty um, life-destroying. You know, and I, I don't know a ton about that world, but the little bit I do know, it's, I think there's some entrapment, you know, you're kind of stuck, you, there's, it's not a great way to get out, but to hear that you, that, that by creating something, and not to discount it, but something as simple as a bracelet, yeah. could, could change someone's trajectory, uh, is, is pretty wild, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we've tried to highlight the stories just because, I mean, we can't make that stuff up. It's just, it's so, yeah. So we've we've been really fortunate to have a community of people that just have an eagerness to share and Mm -hmm. give give these away. I mean, most 
people that I know are giving them off their wrist and then getting another one for themselves. So these are things we couldn't have strategized for. They're not something that we planned on. Right. Um, we, people sell bracelets for fundraisers. I mean, there's all kinds of things um, that we never even really planned on. It was just sort of like, that's just how people saw it and used it. And it was mm. it's been amazing. Yeah. I, th I think any, any business or entrepreneurial person is probably taking notes now too. Like what, what product can I invent that people would take off and give and then buy another one? The, re the replenishment yeah. on that alone is, is probably exciting from a, you know, dollars and cents standpoint. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just have to be sort of lucky, you know, you just kind of, you, you're, if you're paying attention and you know, and you hear from people and then you, then you realize what's happening and that's when you try to really, you know, invest more into, into stuff like that. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. great. Abe, I, I wanted to ask you too. I know we heard from Luke uh, kind of about his journey, you know, from his, his passion and abilities with, with um, his art and creating uh, from clay. But if you could just, just share with us a bit, Abe, around your journey from a nine-to-five for-profit world, uh, the work you were doing there, and then kind of the, the scaffolding you built and kind of how you moved from that to where you are now uh, would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. I already shared a little bit about my, my journey where I really felt a calling when I was in high school to do something with engineering and missions. Yeah. And I didn't really know what that was. And uh, leaving college, I, I thought that God was just going to kind of fling open the doors and there was going to be some, you know, awesome position and I was going to move to Central America or, <laughs> uh, you know, live in the, live in the, uh, the mountains somewhere. Right. There's going to be some treehouse somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was like my idealistic dream. <laughs> well, if you're old enough to remember the uh, dot-com bubble bursting. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, actually, I was in Guatemala, too, and I had a roommate uh, planned out to move back, and he got engaged, and everything fell apart. So I was just like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing, and I think I'll just move back home for uh, a few years because I had, had an internship at a, a local orthopedic company. Mm. Uh, and my brother, he's already mentioned he's uh, eight years younger than me. And I thought he's still in high school. It'd be good to go back and get to know yeah. Luke a little bit more as, you know, not as just my little brother, you know, he's so, um, so I went back and a few years turned into 20 years. <laughs> mm, isn't that funny how that works sometimes? Yeah. And it's, it's easy to see like hindsight, like what was going on, but not, uh, but during the, that time I, you know, I had a question, did I sell out? Mm. You know, did I give up? And um, I don't think I did. I think it's, you know, as I, I kind of processed through that, um, I think God really had me where he wanted me to be. It was, I, I liked the job there. I had some amazing coworkers, some uh, amazing opportunities. I was always being challenged. It was a, it was a good job. I, I was learning a lot about not only engineering, but uh, teams and innovation and leadership mm. and I was on the board for water for good so I was learning about nonprofits. yeah and so there was a lot of things happening and then um yeah the opportunity came for design outreach uh Greg and I Greg my co-founder who's the CEO now he and I started talking in 2010 and at the beginning it was all volunteer and um um let's see now I just came on full-time almost 
about a year and a half ago. And so, yeah, so it was about a, a seven year journey, you know, eight year journey from volunteering, kind of co-founding the small nonprofit, everyone's volunteer that we, ha we don't have any staff to um, now we have a staff, both co-founders are full time. And um, it, it hasn't been like a, a linear path, I would say. <laughs> sure. Like there was a time soon after we started, I was like, yes, this is it. You know, I mentioned God opening the doors. Like I thought, hey, this is it. This is God flinging open the doors again now. And I'm, we're going to go. And, and um, you know, that's about the time when my wife and I were having our kids and, or she was having the kids. <laughs> and uh, life got crazy. I was like finishing a master's degree, like starting a nonprofit and having babies. Like <laughs> That's a lot. And um kind of had a come to Jesus moment with my family realizing like I'm killing my family doing this mm. and um, realizing that my first calling to my to my wife and to my kids and making sure that uh, I'm not losing track of that That's and awesome. that, that was a real wake-up call to me because it kind of like scared me to think like uh, you know I I don't think I'm like a super driven person maybe more stubborn <laughs> like I get an idea in my mind and I just want to keep going with it and I was like man I could have like I could have lost my family or I could have, you know, yeah. I could have at least damaged relationships, you know, if I would have kept pushing like mm -hmm. that. And I, I really just took my hands off and like, God, you know, this is up to you. And it's really amazing to see like kind of full circle, like three years later, when it, when it kind of came to the path of, I can either do my job at Depew, um, Depew Synthes where I was working, um, and take that track and there, I, I just felt like I was being groomed for some play, things there yep. or design outreach and do that track but I can't do either of them really well I kind of have to choose which one I want to do and then you know my wife Lisa looking at me and saying you know I think God's really calling us to go to design outreach full-time wow <laughs> and realizing wow that's you know that's uh that must be God because you know you know, we were not there and aligned um, three years earlier, and it was just a really uh, a beautiful thing to see how our hearts came into alignment with with what um, we felt God was calling us to do with our lives at that point. That's and awesome. and yeah, it was terrifying to to make that jump. You know, you you have this job that you know you're going from a company. I, Depuy Synthi is owned by Johnson and Johnson, so it's like a hundred thousand people to like a, a company of um, five people. Right. So a little different. It, it was terrifying, but exciting and, and uh, challenging all at the same time. I just kind of had to keep telling myself, I, I think I would regret it if I never did it. And, and mm. uh, it all, it'll all be okay. <laughs> no, I love that. No, I appreciate you sharing. I think you hit on two really interesting things. I think one is, you know, as you talk about the, the grind and kind of the hustle and the, you were taking on a lot at one time. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's, there's this uh, fallacy that that's and this kind of uh, portrait that we painted in westernized culture where we say like, wow, look at that person. Like they're working so hard. Like I remember hearing stories about like Steve Jobs or about, you know, all, all of these, all of these great kind of inventors and especially in the tech sector, for whatever reason, these guys who are working like Bill Gates said he worked, you know, two, two uh, all nighters in a row one time and you hear about these stories and I, I do think sometimes I'm like, what, what are their relationships like? You know, I, how could they be a dad? And then I don't know if it's true or I just heard it somewhere, but there's um, when, when the Steve jobs um, 
biography came out, he said, I, I wanted this to be written so my kids would know who I was, mm. uh, you know, because he, he was always working. So there, there's a reality to that. Uh, and then the other thing you hit on, which I want to hear more from both of you guys, is around your support system. And so you had mentioned your wife. Um, and, and I think about the, this idea of, of doing more and doing, doing work for good work for the world is, is not an easy task. And it, it does seem that it requires some level of either sacrifice or life change or um, you know, lifestyle change. And I think um, whether that's traveling overseas to foreign countries or moving to a new city. Um, so, and then for Luke, for your instance, um, starting a company, you know, and getting that going. So Luke, I might jump over to you. Can you share just a little bit about what your, your support system looks like with your friends, family, others in your community? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, early, early on, I had friends, but I was so committed to what I was doing. I didn't have a family. I didn't, you know, wasn't dating anyone. It was easy to give, give all of myself to the business and I didn't feel bad about it. Um, and I, my support system at that point was my parents. I mean, they, they helped me a little bit financially, but mostly they volunteered time, um, to help me, which was really cool. Um, but now, I mean, this year, well, I guess last year now, the support system was really important, (laughs) you know? I mean, when stuff with COVID started happening, we we experienced like a zero dollar day, like like for a month or so. I mean, everything came to a screeching halt. Wow. And that was super scary. We didn't know, you know, if there was going to be any uh, assistance financially or anything like that. We don't have a, we don't have deep pockets. We don't have an investor. We don't have someone mm-hmm. to call. And so one of my friends is another, he's a business owner in town and we are very aligned in just how we, you know, think a business should operate and just, you know, hard work, but also family balance, stuff like that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey man, like, I'm going to have to implement like a daily check-in because I'm not, (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I'm not doing okay. Uh, I'm guessing you're not doing okay. And so there was, I don't know, maybe lasted two months where we just called each other every day. You know, some days I was like, things were going fine. He's like, Oh, I just fired 40 people today. I'm like, okay. So, you know, it was, it was a good balance of like, you know, here's my stuff, here's your stuff. Mm. And we all, we just kind of worked um, through that. But um, another, I mean, my wife is another great support system. She works in the company. She's in charge of like a lot of sales partnership type things, kind of forward, forward thinking. And then I kind of landed in more of an operational role, trying to keep everything organized. And um, so having her, to to work together and you know we we share the load with the kids and um i think that works really well for us um i also have my parents to to have help with the kids sometimes but yeah i mean we can't we can't do it we've talked about like maybe we could be in a different place a different city and then we're like but wait our whole support system right we're just like giving that up like so maybe not you know i mean that's a a huge draw for us just to be where we are 
um, our friends and our family. So that's fantastic. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we are very thankful for the friends we have. They, they know everything about us. They know what's going on in our lives, good and bad. That's right. That's, um, that, that's always a, an interesting spot to be, right? To be vulnerable enough where they truly know. I mean, I, I think we have, you know, a couple of families that we're really close with, you know, and they, have, they, they get to experience the real, real, you yeah. know, which, which is all, you know, the, I always say, you know, in, intimacy is very interesting because you get the best and worst parts of people, uh, but you're, yeah. getting, you're getting the whole person. Right. Which is great. Yeah. We're, you know, our friends are, and our kids, they all hang out and they're so comfortable with each other. It's like, you don't really get that mm. <laughs> polished version yeah. of our family anymore. So, <laughs> which I think it's cool. You know, it's good that way, but. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. And then Abe, you had mentioned um, your wife as well. And I know you guys are new in a new city you know, and I know you're, you're still kind of getting plugged in, but, you know, obviously with FaceTime and Zoom and all that fun stuff, there's ways to connect. What is, what does your support system look like? How do you lean on others through your efforts? Yeah, well, definitely Lisa's my, my wife is my, 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 my best friend and my biggest supporter. And, and, uh, you know, if we're not together on things, it, it doesn't work. So that's number right. one. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think moving to a new city, it's like, okay, Columbus, it was four hours away from where we lived in Indiana. It's still the Midwest. We're like, we were really sad to leave our friends. And, but I think it really snuck up on us, like mm. how hard the move was because of what Luke was talking about. You know, we just, we had friends that we couldn't see every day. We had, we left the church and had to find a new church. And, mm. um, you know, for a while when Lisa and I would go back, to Indiana and kind of on our way back, we'd be like, this is stupid. Like, why, <laughs> why are we leaving? Like why did we do this? Uh, the pandemic didn't help trying to like lay down roots at all, like in a, in a place, but you know, slowly things have been improving. We've, we've been, uh, we found a church finally that um, we've been connecting to. And it's the same one, Luke. We, I was happy to see Luke in the hallway pre COVID one day. So yeah. that was a fun surprise. It's awesome. Even though I knew you before that, Luke. I'm and I'm I'm glad you guys didn't immediately leave the church when you found out. <laughs> there. Luke's gonna run the other way. Yeah. Oh crud! Like we gotta go. Yeah. So that it's, it's been great. a big encouragement to us to find a, a community, um, and uh, to be making some friends there. That's awesome. Um, you know, even within design outreach, we have our, our, a lot of our positions are support raised. So you're, you're familiar with that with your parents mm -hmm. being in ministry and yeah. you know, it is, it's kind of a hard road. You have to um, raise your own support for your ministry and, and it's intimidating, but it's also rewarding in the sense that as you're reaching out to people and they, you know, they're, they tell you they're praying for you and affirming you and, and there's, there's encouragement on the other end too. So, which is really Mm. Uh, really helpful because it's yeah it's I don't think our life in the nonprofit world is any bit easier than the for-profit world by right. <laughs> work. and um, as Greg always says if if it were easy someone would have already done it um, mm -hmm. so, That's right. um, so yeah it is good to just get the the those uh, affirmations and encouragement when you need it that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's it's such a such an important thing to have, no matter what you do in life, no matter who you are, 
but especially if you're stepping out, especially if you're taking that kind of leap of faith, so to say, uh, I think it's, it's really important. Luke, I'm going to kick it back to you. You know, as, as you guys develop mud love, uh, you know, I'm interested to hear a bit more around the, the give back component. And was that, was that something that just happened organically um, around water and, and even from a, from a communication standpoint, you know, coming up with the, the, the giving formula for every X we sell, we'll give blank. Cause you, there are some pretty um, great examples, right? Like Tom's shoes, right? You buy a pair, you give a pair or Warby Parker, right? Glasses, buy a pair, give a pair. It talk to me about that specific part of, of your give back strategy and how that shaped. Yeah. I mean, when I started, I, I knew nothing about business, so I was overly generous, tried to give 20% of every sale, which would have been all my profit. So I did that for a while, uh, but I wasn't a nonprofit. I was just a not for, not for making profit apparently. Right. Um, <laughs> you're, in, you're in a very unique zone. There's profit, yeah. nonprofit, and then there's Luke. You're like, right. Yeah. Venn diagram. <laughs> but I mean, before I even chose clean water, I remember talking to Abe, I remember talking to uh, my family just about like, all right, I feel this calling to do something. Mm. Um, and I remember talking to a guy that worked at Water for Good at the time, and he wasn't trying to get me to support them. He was just trying to help me out. And he said, you know, try to think of it practically, like how can you connect something important um, with consumers and what you're doing? And I mean, I was like, I was open to really anything. Um, but after he told me that I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, it, it should make sense. Um, and then once I learned about the clean water crisis, uh, I was like, wow, well, this is a huge need. And there's a neat connection between clay and, and life. I mean, you can't have clay without water. You can't have life without water. And so I really liked that connection between the two. Um, so after giving all away all my profit for a few years, I finally wised up and um, instituted a new model. But basically it would ebb and flow with the business. And so we give 10 cents for every product that we sell, okay. um, which is a, a minimal amount. Um, but if you think about it, adding up, you know, we can give anywhere from a thousand to to $3,000 a month and we sell a lot of volume and so it kind of worked with our model um because we had the volume um but it's just you know for us it was like it wasn't it became less about like how much are we giving mm -hmm. and just more about like can people like connect with the message and mm -hmm. can we not only give but can we help with awareness and just give someone an opportunity to learn something new that they never knew about i mean i didn't know about the 800 million people at the time that didn't have water, <laughs> right. you know? Um, but as soon as I learned about that, I was, I was ready to do something. Um, mm. So, you know, we, we had to financially create a model that worked. Um, but then we also were very interested in the maintenance model of clean water. You know, a lot of clean water is in, um, in the industry. It's a lot about new, new wells and, um, you know, the water spraying out of the, the hole because they hit water or whatever, which I don't think is actually water from the ground. I think it's the, the pump forcing junk out of the hole. Mm. But we said, well, why don't we, why don't we talk more about the overlook side of, of maintenance and the fact that mm. if a pump's installed, but it, 
isn't um, worked into a system of maintenance, then it's no good. Like Abe was talking about before, uh, just like a car, you need an oil change. Uh, these pumps need, need care of some sort. Sure. Um, and so we thought, you know what, a week of clean water is not a whole lot, but when you add those together, it's months, it's years, it's generations, and they don't have a whole lot of generations in, in Africa. And so mm. we thought that was an opportunity to, to talk more about maintenance, sort of the uncool part of clean water <laughs> um, and, and build that into our model. So. No, I love that. I think what's, what's interesting too is, is you guys were able to find something that's intrinsic to your brand, right? It wasn't, Hey, we, we create a product that uses water and clay and we're going to give, you know, 10% of every sale or whatever to Salvation Army or to dress for success or, you know, fill Red Cross or fill in the blank. It, it, to me, from a, from a marketing and advertising standpoint, that, that starts to hook into a consumer brain better and say, oh, I get it. Like these guys make something with water. Therefore they're, you know, it's, it's kind of a, of an, a no duh sort of moment. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's great, you know, that you guys leaned into that. I think it's fantastic. Thanks. So Abe, I'm going to kick it back to you. Um, you know, as, as you think through um, the clean water crisis, I know you talked uh, a bit about kind of it being foundational. Um, as you think about kind of the next three to five years or so, tackling that issue in particular, what, what do you see as some opportunities um, for that? And then what are, what are ways for people to get involved uh, with design outreach as well? Yeah. Yeah, we have, we're dreaming big at design outreach. We're trying to, you know, the, the, the clean water crisis is big, right? And sometimes it can feel like these numbers are so big and you're only making a, a small dent, but, um, but it's been encouraging to see like how um, organizations like Water for Good and other implementing organizations that we're working with um, are really starting to think a lot about the, um, like what Luke was talking about, the, the reliability of water sources and not just the initial installation. And that's where our technologies are pointing as well. So the life pump, the value proposition has all been about the longevity. And um, you know, you, you could make a chunk, you can make a, a pump really cheap, but then it, you know, it, transportation, supply chain in many rural parts of Africa is really hard and very expensive. So mm -hmm. we've we've gone down, down the route of making this very durable um, pump and we're um, we're scaling that up and, and we have a, a field office that we've opened in Malawi. We plan to, you know, in three years from now, we're hoping to have 500 pumps installed in, in that region. So Malawi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, kind of that area. Um, we're, we're setting up a, a national supply chain. So um, technologies are, you could build the, like the most awesome whatever widget and, you know, if you don't, market it or advocate for it you know people aren't just going to pick it up so that we come on now yeah that's right i'm speaking to a marketing guy here that's so. right come on brother so yeah uh so we've learned that you know you got to advocate for these so that's that's part of the the vision of the malawi field office that we have going there and setting up national supply chains for the life pump um 
we have remote monitoring technology that we're that we're using with the the pump and the whole the whole value proposition is about like you know a pump that has zero downtime for 10 years you know we you know if if people are experiencing water intermittently on and off again you know maybe uh, who knows what sort of impact that might have on a community, but if they've had water for 10 years nonstop, like, um, uh, that could have a tremendous impact on a community. So we're just hoping to, our, our goal is to continue to scale that in the countries that we're working in. Um, we have other, other products and kind of like extensions off of the life pump, like thinking about how to automate or yeah, how to, uh, mechanize it so that, you know, mm. using power to, to pump more water out faster for communities that are growing and <laughs> maybe the queue is growing a little bit longer. So um, yeah, that's where we're going with, uh, with our technologies. And oh yeah, you mentioned people getting involved. So yeah. you know, we, we follow a human centered design process and I mentioned the R&D volunteers. We have a lot of projects in the, like the ideation inspiration phases as well. Like in, in we have a couple projects going in global health um, we had a workshop going on today in the office for a latrine project that we're working on. And so we, you know, if you're a technical person, um, I'd love to talk to you about getting involved in one of our uh, R&D projects. If I, I think when you said, when you said latrine, I think people are already getting excited. They're lying. Yeah. It's just the best. <laughs> it's, it's crappy work, but someone has to do it. Sorry. There's no law for sanitation. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, and, and all joking aside, I mean, obviously that's, that's a huge part of, you it know, is a huge part, yeah. yeah, so we, we, we're, one of our core values is collaboration. We love volunteers. We, you know, when I came on as the chief technology officer, I, I always told people, I don't want to come on so I can do the work. I want to come on so I can facilitate opportunities for more people to get involved. Mm, love that. And then Luke, for you, obviously different model, you know, it's uh for-profit business, but are there ways, do you guys have a, any sort of ambassador program or, um, fo you know, follow you on social or what's, what's the best way to kind of get hooked in with, with Mudlove? Yeah, we do have a ambassador program we call Mudlove Wayfinders. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's basically people that really care about what we're doing and you'll have opportunities to get free product and, and share it on social media, share it with your friends. Um, that's brand new for us um, and we're just sort of tweaking it right now and we're getting ready to launch like a second phase of that but we launched it over the holidays and it went really well and we were surprised honestly by just the passion that these people had for what we're doing um, which was it was a good boost for us you know after a hard year it was like oh cool like there they are <laughs> right people actually um, do care about us and that's a good feeling yeah um, I mean, other things, we love giving tours of our shop. I know it's hard to get, if you're ever passing through um, Warsaw, Indiana, we'd be happy to show you how we do it. Um, we're, we're big on handcraftedness, um, but we use tools and, and different jigs to, to help us get that done. And so, yeah, when people get tours there, they're usually kind of blown away by the process. That's awesome. Yeah, Warsaw, I think it's up there, the top 10 places to visit. Uh, yeah country so probably pretty now you guys are probably close to i-70 i bet you could probably pop off and yeah if, i mean if you're in fort wayne indiana you're pretty close there you go so 
No, that's great. And I, you know, I was going to ask you a similar question too, like that I asked of Abe is, is, you know, thinking into the future, into your crystal ball a bit, where do you see Mudluff going, you know, the next three to five years? Yeah. I mean, we've spent so much time just trying to figure out a process for, for things, you know, everything mm -hmm. that we've built was just like, nothing existed except for a potter's wheel. Um, mm. So now that I'm in this more operational role in product development, I just see us continuing to utilize creativity, thoughtfulness products to address not just clean water, but um, equality. We've, we've launched a campaign called Stand for Equality, which we offer um, Black Lives Matter and equal sign bracelets at cost. Mm. Um, we're just trying we don't we're not supporting the organization we're just trying to support the fact of the message um that's great we want we want to help people that are you know needing to raise money um we're launching a online fundraising platform on our website called the giving village in about a month which you know anybody that needs to raise money can use our mud love products to you know share them and then people purchase them and then half of that sale will go towards their their goal mm. um we've we've tried to do this in other ways but we're kind of repackaging it and um launching that soon we've got a bunch of new products um coming up this year so i mean after after 2020 it was sort of like we have nothing to lose mm. like we made plans for 2020 and then they you know they all went away but we're like let's just dive deep into like creative ideas and just like continue to you know inspire people make people laugh um mm. give people good gifts to give other people uh you know just stay true to who we are and and don't lose the message of clean water and love and all that so there's no concrete plan i know like for a design outreach it's like it's got to be very well calculated and and strategic but for us it's like let's i don't know let's let our hearts lead us mm. let's not be afraid to try new things um yeah just try to be a light and be an inspiration for people that's awesome you're like hey man we're just making stuff with clay all right i don't, I don't know. <laughs> you're like come on man don't pressure me to give you my three to five year plan <laughs> No, well, I, I don't have one. I so, <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. And what, what's fun to see is is to really hear your heart and passion, you know, for people and for the product. And I think that obviously is going to fuel you into the future. Um, you know, a lot of people have you know plans written down or fancy powerpoints, uh, you know, but don't have that same passion. And I think uh, both of you guys have that, you know, with your organizations, which is great. So I'm, I'm going to ask you guys a, a last question here, and this is kind of a, the, the, the final round, but I'd love for you guys to share, uh, you know, two to three um, just thoughts of advice, um, or it can be one. I don't want to pressure you into more than one, uh, but really just for folks who are listening that are thinking, gosh, this sounds cool. I mean, I've, I've got an idea. I've got a product. I've got a passion. I, there's something that breaks my heart in the world that I want to go after and you know, any, any advice you'd give them, you know, there's this, as we were thinking about, I was thinking about the armed and generous kind of notion. I was thinking it, it's about taking a stand for something. 
no that's grandma rose she wants to facetime um this <laughs> hey grandma you're unarmed and generous just kidding um <laughs> no it's it's about it's about taking a stand and and stand for me stands for <laughs> stand stands for solve, solving a problem that breaks your heart transforming into a, a purpose-driven person or organization activating your audience to participate friends family consumers a new point of view shifts from roi to roy see what i did there and then uh, driving double bottom line growth so that, that's a lot to digest but really the idea for folks is is that when, when you take a stand you're taking a step forward and so that's that's kind of a long way around just to ask you guys you know what what type of wisdom would you impart to to someone who's just starting this journey. Luke, if you want to start. Yeah, I can start. Um, well, the timing's appropriate for this because one of my favorite quotes is from Martin Luther King Jr. who says something along the lines of those who desire love and peace must learn to organize as effectively as those that love hate and war. Mm. And I think, I think it's like, you know, we have these passions we have this heart for people, um, which is great, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. But at some point, like, we have to move and just jump in. And I, you know, I did that with Mud Love, and man, I've, I've made a million mistakes. And they don't define me. They inform me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's usually what I tell younger people when I speak places, like, you just have to start. You know, and then once you get started, you, you, you create problems for yourself, but then you're, you're there to, to organize them and execute them. But if you don't start, then you, you can't do anything. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really important to take that step of like making change happen. You know, I think that's sort of like within our family has been mm. like, we're very project oriented. And I think that's mm. been really good for us as like, okay, we, we see this issue and now we're going to go do something about it. We're going to try to fix it or at least, you know, start. Um, and it takes a lot of organization. It takes a lot of planning. It takes, and then with your heart behind it, I mean, you just have to keep going. So it's so, it's easy to be very scared to take that step and, and, you know, think, Oh, I'm not ready. It's not the right time. Um, and it's true for a lot of people, you know, for Abe, it wasn't the right time. But eventually they started, you know, and um, yeah, that's, I think that's like one of the most important things people can do. Just go jump. Mm, that's awesome. Abe, how about you? As, as you think about just sharing advice, you know, if you were to sit down and have a cup of coffee with someone and they said, all right, Abe, I'm thinking about moving in this certain direction. How would you advise them? Yeah, I'll start with a quote. Actually, I have it hanging in my office here. I'll start with a quote also. It says, nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. It's by Edmund Burke. Mm. And, you know, often you think, uh, you see these people who did like amazing things and moved heaven and earth. But I think it's just a lot of little decisions and being faithful to those little decisions. Um, I sometimes I have to like you know pinch myself like that I'm here at design outreach but it was really like I can't claim a lot of 
I can't hardly claim like credit for <laughs> any of it. You know, it was just like an opportunity was presented to me and I like said, I prayed about it and I, and I said, Hey, I'm going to move in this direction. You know, um, I think it's uh, being faithful to, to, um, what you think is the right thing on the little decisions and those add up to the bigger, the bigger items. Um, mm. Something else I, I really like, uh, another point of advice is the, the idea of kind of a Venn diagram of what's a great opportunity versus a good opportunity for you. And I don't know, you may have heard this before, but if there, you know, you think about your life, you have your, your talents, the, your competencies, the things that you're good at, and then you have your passions. You know, you may be good at something, but you might not like it. You know, I remember being good at things at work and then I would, I would do it really well. And then I get assigned it again. I was like, wait, no, I didn't want that. You know, I was like, I'm going to mess it up big time. So they won't give it to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. So, you know, and then there's the opportunities when all three of those things line up, then that's a great opportunity. Hmm. And, you know, sometimes you have to kind of sit and wait for those opportunities. You see people like doing things and you may think, oh, that's awesome. I want to go do something like that. But if it's not for, you know, I kind of, that time when I was in that waiting period, the three years before I joined Design Outreach, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to like, just feel like I'm, I have FOMO, like I'm missing out on something. I'm going to jump at everything. I'm just going to wait. Like that opportunity will come. And if a God says that's the right time, it'll, it'll happen. You know, but I'm, I'm going to keep my eyes open. I'm still going to be thinking about it, but I'm not going to just like jump into something without, without having that discernment and, and that waiting time. No, you're supposed to jump right away, Abe. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, we're, we're, yeah. we're pretty different people, but I jumped, <laughs> no, when I, didn't, I jumped when I didn't have a family. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have, I right. jumped, but I was, it was just me. But I agree with Abe. It's like, I was working construction for a while before I jumped. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. Um, but then the opportunity presents itself. You have to take it, you know, if yeah. it's there yeah. and it's the right time and you're hearing that, like that's, that's God telling you to move. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Like when the opportunity does come, go for it. There was times when I, you know, when I was in the process of jumping and thinking about this jump, and I wake up in the middle of the night and kind of terrified, like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrifying thing to take the jump. Yeah. So you have to, you have to do it. If there's some point where you just can't keep, you can't straddle the fence anymore. You just gotta, you gotta jump in. Mm. So I just, I just want to say thank you guys for, for joining today and, and also just encourage you both. I know that it's, it's not easy at what you're doing, but you're, you're stepping out and you're, you're putting your whole heart into this, uh, which is exciting to see. And I really appreciate you sharing your insights today with, with the group and, just encourage you to continue to be armed and generous with all you do. So thank you guys. Well, it's time for our triple T takeaways where we take a look at examples in the episode where time, talent, or treasure was used to become armed and generous. The first one that stuck out to me is this notion of the grind and the hustle. And it's something that's had a lot of airtime on social media, on podcasts and books, and you hear about people these days who have some sort of side gig. I think a lot of us do. It's something that we're working toward, we're working on. In a way, Armed and Generous is my side hustle. You know, I'm working on this podcast at nights and on weekends, and I'm trying to turn it into something bigger than just airwaves. So for me, when I hear about a grind and hustle of starting maybe a company, 
or starting an organization, that starts to get really exciting. But as the guys talked about, it can be tough to manage both commitments. You know, at one point, Abe talked about how he was straddling two worlds for several years and he couldn't do both. And he couldn't do both with excellence, that's for sure. And he couldn't do both and maintain his most important relationships with his wife and his kids. But he was patient and he jumped when the timing was right. And Luke's story is a little different. You know, he wasn't married, he didn't have kids. He was a little bit younger, didn't have the commitments. And so he jumped, there's still risk involved, and he put all the effort and energy into starting a business. You know, it can be hard to determine when to jump, when to stay, when to start, but their stories kind of help us understand that there's a season for all of this and that doing both at the same time is not sustainable. It can't last forever. And while it's happening, it can really impact those we care about the most. So we really have to guard that with our time. The second thing that jumped out to me is how Luke took his education and experience in ceramics. That's really his talent. He took that and started a business. And he, it's so funny because he almost became a bus driver. But luckily for him, he failed that test. You know, this led him to start making ceramic products full time, then launching a business, then growing it into what it is today at Mudlove. And it was his determination and his effort that got Mudlove out the ground. But it was his heart for people and people without clean water that propelled the brand to the success that it has today. My question for you is what skills and talents do you have that might be the foundation of a new business? Or maybe it's a shift in a role at your current company. What give back aspect could you put in place and connect it to your current organization or your craft? And then the last thing is that the guys talked about their passion for people and working in organizations and causes where consumers connected with the message or donors connected with the message in Abe's case. They shared this can help get the word out about the mission. It can get the word out about the products and innovations and ultimately it can get the word out about the crisis. For them, it's clean water. What is it for you? You know, the UN put out 17 different sustainable ways that we could really help the world. It's things like clean water. It's things like poverty. What is it that makes your heart really hurt for this world? You know, for Luke, he was able to put together Mud Love, which not only propels people forward from a clean water standpoint, also encourages people with positive messages on the mugs, on bracelets. And it also creates word of mouth marketing. We kind of joke that imagine creating a product that's so good that people are actually giving it away to each other and then buying more of that. What is that? Is there something in your world, your craft, your industry that is that amazing, that connected to something so real that people just want to give it away? You know, for Abe, it makes the efforts of design outreach even more shareable. So what is that world issue you care about? How does that world issue align with the products or services of your organization? And how can you add give back components to your existing organization or to start your own? A lot of things to think about, a lot of great insight from the Wright brothers, and they're definitely exemplifying an armed and generous life. So if you'd like to learn more about what Abe's up to, check out designoutreach.org. If you wanna learn more about Mudlove or buy one of the great products, go to mudlove.com. For more episodes and content, visit armedandgen.com or follow by searching Armed Ampersand Generous on LinkedIn. As always, remember doing good leads to growth. Now let's get out there and let's be armed and generous.